even though it's 37 degrees outside and looks like it could snow and um, it is the first day of spring, uh, it actually is Palm Sunday. Uh, and it's appropriate that we, uh, as we've been working through First uh, Peter uh, chapter 4, to, uh, as he talks there about suffering, uh, to remind ourselves a little bit uh, today about the, the whole point of Passion Week. Um, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the things that you notice about all four of them is <clears throat> almost half of those Gospels is given over to the last week or 10 days or so of Jesus' life. So uh, that's something that's really, really important that really mattered. And one of the things to note about that is almost at every turn during the, the Passion Week, one of the things that you see is that this is leading up to and preparing for and being a part of the fact that Jesus is going to suffer. And so as Peter writes to this church here about suffering, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's really appropriate for us to, to look at that this morning. So as we have been looking at First Peter, today we're up to chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. That text is uh, in the bulletin uh, and also up on the screens uh, behind me. First uh, Peter 4 verses 12 to 19. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. <clears throat> one of the things, uh, as uh, those of you with kids, as your kids get older, one of the things that you're going to find out uh, that is, uh, if you're especially of a certain age, that one of the big differences in college now is, is that college kids all go abroad. They all go to Europe or somewhere for at least a semester or a year. It's just what you do. Everybody does it. If you don't do it, your kid's not cool. So, so you, <laughs> those of you who care about that, start saving your pennies because uh, it's not cheap to go abroad to study. So our daughter's no different. Um, she is going to spend a semester next year at the University of Reading uh, in, in England. And so uh, I'm sure they have a terrific basketball team <laughs> and, and football team. I don't, I don't, you know, they don't do sports like that over there. So... Um, uh, so we got to figure out what to do when we get over there to, to see her. And so Marty's got a big list of all the stuff she wants to do uh, when we go visit her. And after she gave me the list, she asked me, she's like, well, what would you like to do? <laughs> I said, well, I really want to go to Broad Street uh, in Oxford. And she's like, are there some nice shops there? And I said, no, that's where... Um, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley and Thomas Cranmer were burned at the stake. That's what I want to go see. 
they were burned at the stake for their faith. And I'm like, I'd really like to go see that. Um, apparently the door that they walked through out of their prison uh, is still there. Uh, <clears throat> Ridley and Latimer uh, were uh, reformers and they um, were tried and were burned at the stake and tradition has it uh, <clears throat> that Latimer said, uh, play the man, Mr. Ridley. I pray that the flame that uh, surrounds us today would light a fire of grace across England that'll never be put out. Pretty impressive. Cranmer, who uh, was the Archbishop of Canterbury, who wrote the, uh, the book of uh, Common Prayer, um, uh, struggled uh, mightily and recanted his faith a couple of times. Uh, and actually wrote, signed his name on a paper saying that he recanted his Protestant faith. Um, shortly before he died, he was allowed to preach a sermon, and he didn't preach the sermon that he was supposed to preach. And so they carried him out, and uh, they burned him at the stake. And tradition says uh, that as the flames grew up around him, he stuck his right hand in the fire first, because that's the hand that signed the document that recanted his faith. Happy Palm Sunday. <laughs> Pretty remarkable stuff, right? Um, I think everybody wonders at some time or another, what would I do if someone literally came up to me and said, uh, because you're a Christian, because you've identified with Jesus Christ, and because he's identified with you, uh, you're going to lose everything you have, or uh, you're, you, you'll, you'll lose your life or your, your health or, or something like that. That, that, that. The truth is that as you face those sorts of things, as you think about those sorts of things, we almost, in our country, almost never have to worry about something like that. But I'm sure there are times where we think, what would I do? What would that be like if my life was on the line based on what I, I said, who I identified myself with? Uh, as a Christian. Now, I grew up during uh, the Cold War, and we all knew that the Cold War, <clears throat> in the Cold War, that, that uh, Russia, the Soviet Union and that uh, uh, China were, uh, were atheistic uh, countries. And one of the things, we, a game we used to play uh, in my youth group was, you know, <clears throat> if, uh, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? <laughs> Nobody thinks that's funny. Um, I, think, I, think that's a, I think that's a great one, <laughs> actually, right? Uh, our youth group doesn't, I don't think we play that here anymore. So, um, but I, as, I, as I think about that, what would, what would that be like? As I was thinking about this this week as well, as, we, as I unpack this, you know, Peter is looking at a tiny little church that is struggling for its very existence. And what he is saying to them is, listen, uh, you can rest assured that difficulty is going to come, that persecution is going to come, and that uh, you will, uh, you're, you're going to have to face this. Uh, but in fact, this is an opportunity for you to bear witness to the gospel in profound ways for the glory of God, for the spirit of the the glory of God to rest upon you and, and, and for some pretty dramatic things to happen to you and to happen to your faith. So, so here's the thing. This is what, this is what he's going to get at. Now, 
the, the truth is, there's a, there's a principle that runs through this. Whether, whether you're suffering because you're just a human being who, who has illnesses and difficulties and, and hard times and that kind of stuff, or you're suffering as a Christian, as someone who is being persecuted for their faith, with, regardless of those things, what, whenever you uh, come at those things, I can, I, I can tell you that it will have an, its, its effect upon you. Now, some people suffer, and they become hardened. Uh, they, 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 it's like a callus gets built up over a, a, a soft spot in their heart, and they just become hardened uh, to the goodness of God. They become hardened to uh, the fact that God might be at work in this situation, and, and they become blinded, really, to be able to see the goodness of God in the midst of their suffering. And yet there are other people who suffer uh, terribly, and it only softens them and, and gives them a deeper awareness of the grace and the goodness of God and, and softens them up and, and makes them even more alive and, and more like Christ as, as they, as they uh, deal with and struggle uh, with suffering and with difficulty. And so as we look at this text today, I want you to keep those two things in mind because that's what Peter wants this congregation of people to come to grips with is, is that the suffering as, has, that, that is going to come upon them, that not to be surprised, not to be overwhelmed, but to see and to believe that God has something for them uh, in that. So, so when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he came not to establish an earthly kingdom, but to suffer and die. That's one of the things that you have to see that this text tells us is if we identify with Christ, Christ came as a suffering servant. We should expect the same to be uh, 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 true of us as well. He would ask Judas later in the week, friend, why have you come when Judas comes to lead the guys to arrest him? And so if we were to ask Jesus the same question, he would say he has come to answer the calls of the crowd, Hosanna. Which, you know, when we sing and hear the word Hosanna, we tend to think of it means like, yay, yay, that's good, yay, yay. Like, like you'd yell at a parade, right? Um, uh, or or at, a, at a political kind of thing, right? You'd, you'd like, yay, we love our guy, right? You know, and isn't he awesome? And uh, uh, he's going to be a winner. And so, uh, uh, but what Hosanna really means as Lord, save us. Save us. Now, they didn't know what they were saying when they said that. But Jesus knew that he would come, he would die, he would rise again, and because of that, he would actually save these people uh, in ways and from things they did not even know they needed to be saved from. So, Sarah, ne next slide, right? So we should not be surprised when we suffer, even if we suffer for being named Christians. Um, I know that there are some of you here today who struggle in your families because you're Christians. I know there are some of you here today who might struggle at work uh, uh, because uh, uh, folks there know you're a Christian. And I, and I know that there are some of you who might struggle in your neighborhood, right? Uh, but the fact is, there's a long and hallowed history of Christians suffering and dying uh, as Christians, right? And as our text today says, having the spirit of glory and God resting upon us as we did that. Hugh Latimer, Nicholas Ridley, and, and Thomas Cranmer are all examples uh, to us uh, 
of, of that. And so what I want us to do then, uh, Sarah, next slide, is to look at this text, and we're going to draw out five things quickly uh, to help us uh, understand uh, what it is uh, and how it is that we deal with suffering. So first, uh, we must remember that when we suffer, it's from God. Uh, he says later down in that, uh, that uh, text, as people who suffer according to God's will. One of the things that you have to recognize about the things that happen to us is, is that sometimes we, we would like to say that suffering is just some sort of an anomaly in the world and that if God could do something about it, he would. But since he can't, he, he, he has to allow us to suffer. Well, nothing could be further from what the Bible says to us about that. The fact of the matter is, and this is not because God is cruel or because he's evil or because he's mean or anything like that. He, if, if, if he himself suffered, if he himself experienced suffering, then the fact is he uses that that suffering for his purposes in our lives and for his glory. And so, so one of the things that you have to see about that is, is that it, it's, we don't live in a random universe where God kind of checks out and things you know, just happen for no reason. They, they happen, and they happen in the, in, in the way in which God uh, designs them to happen. And so these people may experience persecution, but it's not because God's absent from that, or he's not there, or he's not involved, or he's not at work in that situation. He actually is. And I have to tell you, that's mysterious. That's hard to figure out. It would be easier to say there's the force that has the good side and there's the force that has the bad side. And when you suffer, the bad side of the force is winning. And when things are going well, the good side of the force is winning. But that's not in the Bible. Sorry. <laughs> right? And so, so, the, so the fact is, as we, as we look at this, what we, what we have to recognize is, is that in a mysterious way, there's a God there who knows us, who loves us, who knows what it's like to experience pain, who actually brings those sorts of things into our lives for his purposes and for our good and for his glory. And, and the thing about it is, if, if you don't like that and you don't, you don't, you don't appreciate that, Tell him. Tell him. We just sang through some psalms where we were telling him that. What are you doing? Come on, save me. Fix this. Tell him. Nothing wrong with that. Secondly, Peter calls this a fiery trial. Now, one of the things that we have to see about that is, is that the, he uses that language fire not because of any particular physical thing that's going on, but to remind us is that fire is the biblical metaphor for purification, that God is bringing about this, is, is refining us as in a refiner's fire as we go through these difficulties. And that is one of the things that, that strangely, oddly enough, that happens to us in, uh, in, in, in the way in which uh, God uh, works with us. And he disciplines us in this. And that he uses these things to shape us and to correct us and to mature us and to grow us up. Listen, I know what you say about people that you know who don't discipline their kids. I know what you say about them. You talk about them. They don't discipline their kids. My kids would never behave like that because I discipline my kids. We're not putting up with that in our house, right? Right? Those people over there, they don't discipline their kids. Shame on them, right? Look at those kids. No discipline at all, right? Well, 
Can't say that about God. Because <laughs> he disciplines the ones he loves, right? Uh, and that is one of the ways that we know that he loves us is, 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 is he brings these sorts of things into our lives to help us. Now, now one of the things that you have to see about this is, is nobody thinks they need discipline, right? Nobody thinks that. Nobody's like, gee, you know, when you get up in the morning, you're like, I hope today is a day where I get disciplined, right? <laughs> That'll be awesome. That'll make a great day, right? No. Nobody gets up thinking that. The, but, but the, <laughs> well, I hope not. So, but the, but the, the, the fact of the matter is, that should tell us that one of the things mysteriously that suffering does for us is it helps us see where we're weak. It helps us see where we need to repent. It helps us see also how powerful and how big and how large the heart of God is for us, that he might actually use pain in a redemptive way to change my whole, uh, to change my whole life. Thirdly, what you have to see about this is there's a difference then between refining and judgment. Now, you could read this text where he's, where he's quoting from uh, Proverbs 11, uh, where he says, and if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and, and, and the sinner? What, what he's getting at there is, it's, it's not that we're just barely hanging on, that we're just barely saved. What he's saying there is, the world is hard. Sin is powerful. The corruption of our hearts is real. And and, and, and God loves us enough to do something about that, right? And so, so what he's doing here is he's bringing about these things in our lives to refine us, to burn out those things that are, are difficult. And, and so we hear this and we think, you know what? I'd just rather not do that. I'd rather just go through life bent, self-centered, selfish, and pain-free. What, what if I were to introduce you to someone and say, you see this man? He's my friend. He cut me open with a knife. And you would think, let's put that guy in jail. Except that man's a surgeon. And he caused me pain to do me good. Changes the whole way we look at that. I'd rather not have to ever see a surgeon, but I'd rather see a surgeon and go through pain if I need it than if not. And so, so that's exactly what he's getting at here. To, he's saying to these folks is, listen, this is what happens. You, you need to see these things that are coming your way as an opportunity for you to be refined and an opportunity for you to be tested. Um, what... Uh, <laughs> One of, one of the things that I think is, is so, so powerful uh, about this, too, is that he tests us and he refines us, not in some sort of way so that he can look down from heaven through his heavenly telescope and say, ah, let's see how Steve's doing. Let's, let's, let's bring a little pain into his life and see how he reacts. If he's God, he already knows. Why would he bring pain into my life? Because I don't know. Because I don't know. Because I can go through my life thinking, you know what? I've got things pretty much squared away. Life is pretty good 
It's pretty easy until something difficult comes along, and then all of a sudden, I'm undone. Now, one of the things I've noticed about being 56 is you get in ruts. You know what a rut is? You know, like, like when you're on a trail and there's a rut where the, the wheel has, has worn that, and you get in that, and it's hard to get out of it. I, I, I like to think of ruts as graves with the ends knocked out of them, you know? Like, it's just a place for death. So I've been exercising the same way for about 20-something years. I'm in a rut. And I thought, you know, i got to do something different. I'm in great shape, by the way. So it's really working for me. But it's time to do something different, something more interesting. So I dropped the gym that I'd been a member at for a long time, and I joined a new shiny gym where everybody has tattoos and gigantic muscles. Gigantic. And... And so I go to this place, and the lady's taking me around, and she's like, you, you know, you get this machine, and you get this machine, and then she comes to this thing, and she says, you see this machine right here? This is the best thing we got in here. And all I can, I don't know what it is exactly, except it's, it's like a rope. You pull, like climbing on a rope, except it's like a rope on a treadmill. So you pull this rope, and it's got tension on it. And you can do it like this, and you can do it like this. And she's like, that's really hard. That's the best piece of equipment we have in here. And I'm like, ah, I'm in great shape. How hard can this be? So I look at the thing and it says, set it at this setting and do it for 20 minutes. I'm like, 20 minutes? I run for an hour. I've run marathons. Not a big deal. So I start horsing on that rope. This is a blast. This is so easy. Not a problem. Okay, i got to be about done. And it says, you've been doing this for 31 seconds. <laughs> right? It says, you're supposed to do this for 20 minutes without stopping? I'm like, who does that? <laughs> Introduce me to that person. And I've been studying that, watching. Let's see how long that guy does it. So I'm like, somebody else gets on it, I clock them. Nobody's doing it for 20 minutes. So I, f I, feel, <laughs> I feel so much better. But you know what? All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, man, my arms hurt, my shoulders hurt, my neck hurts, my head hurts, my gut hurts. This, everything about me hurts. This hurts. Oh, I thought I was in such good shape. Oh. If I hadn't been tested, I wouldn't know. If I hadn't been tested, I wouldn't know. It's good to know. It's good to have a sober look at what you're really like and how much you need a Savior. Um, I read in the bulletin that we're at the end of Lent, and it made me wonder how many of us actually kept our Lenten resolutions. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, so... Fourthly, we're not to be surprised by suffering because Jesus suffered. If we identify with Jesus, 
then, uh, and, and Jesus came as the suffering servant, then we should expect no less. It is absolutely true that either you will suffer simply as a human being, the longer you live, the more you will lose, and, uh, and, and God forbid that a day may come where you might actually suffer because you are identified with Jesus Christ. You should not be surprised because uh, the world is described as a veil of tears, and there is opposition to the purpose of the gospel in your life. Fifthly, and this is what's most important, is we trust the God who loves us enough to refine us. Uh, I came across this quote from John Piper that I think is really good about this. He says, entrust your soul to a faithful creator. And this next sentence was worth the price of admission this morning to church. He says, the purpose of good theology is to build and sustain great trust in God. What a, what a great sentence, right? The purpose of good theology is to build and sustain great trust in God, knowing that, that as difficulties come our way, one of the things that I remember is, wait a minute, there's a God, and he's alive, and he made me, and he sees me, and he loves me, and he dispatched Jesus to live and to die and to rise again. And he, he has seen to it that I've heard that gospel and he has renewed me and he has given me the gift of faith to trust him in that and, so, and to believe him. So, so when hard things come, you get down to the granular level of this is, this is where the rubber meets the road and this is where it's important to understand, yes, this is true. This is what matters, right? So in all Christian suffering, Satan is seeking to devour faith. God is seeking to test and refine faith. God's great purpose in all our suffering will be accomplished when we do what Jesus did in the agony of the cross when he cried out, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. He entrusted himself to a faithful creator. According to 2 Corinthians 1.9, God's purpose in suffering is to cause us to rely no longer on ourselves, but utterly on him who raises the dead. And so, so as we entrust ourselves in this, and this, this is the thing that, 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 that is there's both the good news and the bad news in this. The, the great news is, in this is, is that God loves us, that, that Jesus Christ knows what it's like to suffer. He even knows what it's like to die. And so we can, we can look to him, we can experience fellowship with him in profound ways that we could never, ever, ever believe. But bottom line is for us, we, we entrust ourselves to him because he raises the dead, because one day that'll be us. One day, one day, that suffering will end in our death. And, and the hope that we have, the trust that we have, is in this one who was raised from the dead and who has promised us uh, certainly, and given us the Spirit to help us understand that He raises the dead and that He will raise us. And so as I look at my suffering, as I look at my difficulties, I look at the hard things in my life, that is what I entrust myself to is this God loves me. He is for me. He suffered. He knows what it's like. He sees me. He is with me. He will give me what I need to do what he has called me to do. And when my time comes, he'll raise me from the dead. 
And that doesn't mean that we take that like some sort of drug or we take that like some sort of opioid to numb us from our pain. We see that, we hear that, we believe that, and we entrust ourselves to that so that the glory of God is demonstrated and, and, and the life of Jesus Christ is lived out in our lives. Listen, I, I've been at this job for almost 30 years, and I see it. I see when hard things come to people, and I see the life of Christ come alive in people. They're, they, they're changed, they're softened, they, they see the goodness and the grace of God in ways that they never saw it before. They're changed, they're softened, they're gracious, they're merciful, they're strong. And then sadly, I see it come to people, and it hardens them. It makes them bitter, angry, closed off, sullen. And then there's the rest of us who are ping-ponging somewhere in between those two. Peter tells us today not to be surprised, but to entrust ourselves to one who knows us and who will give us what we need. Give us what we need. Give us what we need as we struggle and as we suffer. Let's look to him now. Lord, we need a sense that uh, when we entrust ourselves to you, you are indeed trustworthy, that you will care for us, you will provide for us, you will look out for us. Jesus, just as you told your disciples that if they were ever called before a judge and had to give account for uh, their uh, faith, that you, by your spirit, would give them what they needed, that you would... Give them words, and you give them courage, and you give them confidence. Lord, I pray today for those who struggle and uh, uh, who are suffering because uh, they belong to you. I pray that you would strengthen and encourage them. I pray that you would remind them that you're for them and that you hold them, that you are with them, and that by your Spirit you will give them. Uh, what they need. Lord, I pray today for those of us who feel and see and smell the refining fire. Lord, I pray in the midst of that, we would not be tempted to think that you don't love us, but I pray that by your spirit, you would open our eyes to see uh, just how powerful, how real, how profound your love is for us. Jesus, we thank you today uh, that you raise the dead, that you once were dead. You entered into all that human suffering is, and you overcame it for us. Help us. And Lord, I pray today for the bitter, the broken, the angry, and the faithless. I pray that you would uh, soften them by the picture of your suffering on their behalf, that you would encourage them by your resurrection and that by your spirit you would press the truth of the gospel. Lord, um, thank you that you rode into Jerusalem that day with a single eye towards the salvation of your own. Hosanna, Lord, save us.
We ask in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, as the guys uh, come down front to take up the offering, let me remind you to drop uh, your tear off in the plate. Please don't feel pressure to give. Only give today if it's a part of your worship and response to God's goodness and grace.